0: Good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? It's pretty solid. I'll take it. I will take it. Awesome. All right. We continue tonight in our series called Revive Us as we seek the Lord in his reviving touch. Now, um, many of you know that back in April and May timeframe, Allie and I got away for a month with the kids. Um, and uh, we ended up... Uh, don't hate us because it was so cool, but we got the opportunity of a lifetime and we went to Spain for a month and it was so cool. Um, we got an Airbnb for under $1,000 for an entire month. Isn't that crazy? It was a great deal, so we took it and we went. It was so good. Um, we were staying right outside of Barcelona in this little like fishing village called Cabrils and uh, it was over the Mediterranean Sea. I know, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to make you guys all like envy this trip, but it was really cool and really beautiful. And, um, and the Airbnb was kind of sitting up here And we just sat there for two thirds of our trip, literally just as a family existing together. We did all the touristy stuff as well, saw some cool architecture, ate some good food. But most of our time was just sitting together and seeking the Lord together the best we could with two toddlers running around, causing all sorts of mischief. So it was pretty great. Um, But it was in that space that... Um, that I realized something, that if you'd have asked me before, do you believe that a month away is going to accomplish everything you would hope that it could? I would say, no, I I don't imagine that it it would. Like there's so many things that I want God to work in my heart and in my life. um, And I don't imagine that a month away is going to fix it. And um, I would have been super right if I would have told you that because it really, like people were like, are you so rested and refreshed? I was like, we went in a foreign country with two toddlers for a month. Not exactly like refreshing in the sense of like we had the most, uh, like we were just kind of chilling by the pool every day, just relaxing. Um, it, was, it was kind of exhausting, but it was still really rich. It was so valuable. There weren't these big epiphany moments. There weren't the things where if I had all my checklist items of what I wanted God to grow in my heart and how I wanted to restore my soul, that it wasn't like he just marked off all of those things. But it was more like the beginning of a bunch of different things for me. And that took me an alley to a book that we read while we were away. It's this one called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction by Eugene Peterson. Now, this book um, was really, really good and helpful. Uh, and it meant a lot to me while we were away. In a lot of ways, it felt like balm for my soul, but it wasn't the cure-all either. Does that make sense? Like it, when I was reading it, it gave language to what God wanted, is, like began doing in my heart, in my life, but it didn't like give all the solutions, like the one, two, threes, and then everything's gonna be perfect. Everything's gonna be fixed. You see, this book is centered around 15 Psalms in the book of Psalms. They're known as the Songs of Ascent. And these songs of ascent were written, these are Psalms 120 through 134. And these 15 songs of ascent were written as the playlist that the entire nation of Israel would sing three times a year as they made a mass pilgrimage from wherever they lived in the Holy Land to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles, Pentecost, and Passover. So get this, imagine this, three times a year, the entire nation follows in obedience the call of Yahweh to leave their homes and become pilgrims on a journey that's going to be unique to each of them. I mean think about it. If some are coming from the north, some are coming from the east, the west, the south, from all over, right? And they're all descending on one centralized location. So, there'd be geographic differences between where you're coming from or where I'm coming from. Some are coming from the coast, some are coming from the mountains, some are coming from the desert. So we're gonna have different geographical experiences on our pilgrimage. As well, we might face potential threats because on the roads of pilgrims, that was a place where thieves and and other individuals might come to wreak, wreak mischief on the life of a pilgrim. As well, you would on that pilgrimage, meet new friends, fellow pilgrims on the journey, others who are making their way to the city of Jerusalem with you. You might come from all different places all around. Your journey is unique from mine, but we're all singing the same playlist the entire way there. Doesn't that sound kind of beautiful? See, each of these 15 songs, they were meant to captivate the imagination with different parts of the journey of life. See, because ultimately the pilgrimage in and of itself was a metaphor, not just the arrival in Jerusalem, but the journey itself was meant to be a metaphor of a life with God. To be this reminder that it's not quick, it's not easy, but it's worth it. Now, we each have a different vision of the good life, right? Maybe for you, when you imagine the good life or what would make your life complete, you would imagine maybe a lack of financial hardship, um, traveling more, the promotion, the right relationship, kids acting better. Whatever, right? We all have things that we could imagine. If I asked you, what are a couple things that you would imagine would make your life better? You probably have a couple things on your mind, right? See, in the scriptures, we get an image of the good life, one of true flourishing. But you see, it's not instantaneous. And it's not the one that we would self-define. It's a long journey. It's one, as Jesus talks about, one of abiding that we would draw near to him and bear much fruit. Apart from him, we can do nothing. You see, that's kind of infuriating, right? Because we want the quick results. We want what makes sense to us. We want to call what kind of fruit we're gonna bear. But what we are called to do is experience the life of Jesus day by day as we experience his presence. And see, this is the road of the pilgrim. This is the long obedience in the same direction. So for the ancient Jewish people, they would make this pilgrimage to Jerusalem three times a year singing these same 15 songs over and over and over again, being in a meditative state of the truths that they hold. When we were away, I uh, got my own version of kind of like this metaphor of walking long distances because as I mentioned, our Airbnb was kind of in this, this hilly village and the Mediterranean Sea was right there. But between that was like three miles of essentially downhill and uphill. Now, the thing is we walked about 70 miles a week while we were there. We did a ton of walking, no car, one stroller, Two kids like this, and 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 Abby wanted to walk by herself the entire time, and Asher wanted to be in the stroller the whole time. The only problem is Asher's really good at walking, Abby's not. So there, like, it was long, long walks. Okay, everything took much longer than it should have, and and to be honest, there was a lot of downhill, but I don't remember any of the downhill. It just felt like we walked uphill essentially the entire time. So. It was a great metaphor for me of a long obedience in the same direction. Like my mind was constantly thinking about these psalms as I was studying these psalms within the scriptures. As I was reading this book and uh, I even um, did something a little bit cheesy, I created a playlist um, of the of kind of these 15 psalms with a song to represent each of them. Some are literally the psalms. Some are just a song that's kind of of the same theme, but all of them were just one so that Allie and I would have a playlist to listen to for ourselves as we were making our ascent up back to our Airbnb. Um, so all of this though was, was just putting us in a place where we were meditating on these ancient truths. And as I meditated on these concepts, I was struck by this question. Do I have the mindset of a spiritual tourist or pilgrim? Now in the book, Eugene Peterson writes this about a spiritual tourist. Religion in our time has been captured by the tourist mindset. See, religion is understood as a visit to an attractive site to be made when we have adequate leisure. For some, it is a weekly jaunt to church. For others, occasional visits to special services. Some with a bent for religious entertainment and sacred diversion plan their lives around special events like retreats, rallies, and conferences. We go to see a new personality, hear a new truth, to get a new experience, and so somehow expand otherwise humdrum lives. The religious life is defined as the latest and the newest. Zen, faith healing, human potential, parapsychology, successful living, choreographed, choreography in the chancel Armageddon we'll try anything until something else comes along see that's the mindset of a spiritual tourist we know something about tourism right around these parts and we know something about the mindset of tourists as well, right? I mean, you look no further than that. that the next time a friend invites you to a birthday party that's over on 192 or over on iDrive. You get to experience on the road the mindset of a tourist. And it's crazy, right? Like you see how quick people can try to get from point A to point B without knowing where the heck point B is. They make it so easy. See, tourists are only here because it's fun and convenient. That's why people come to Orlando, right? Hence why in the middle of hurricane season, when there's a threat of an actual hurricane, what do tourists do? They cancel their trip or they move it, right? They rebook for another time. Why? Because they're not coming here because they feel this like inner compulsion that they have to be here at that time of year. They're like, I'll see you around Christmas time, you know? Do we have the mindset of spiritual tourists? See, pursuing Jesus only when it's convenient with our schedules, when it doesn't require too much of you and only as long as you're having one of those super spiritual weeks where you actually wanna listen to worship music in your car. See, that is the mindset of a spiritual tourist. And I confess for me so often that can be my mindset too. But see, pilgrims are different. Pilgrims have a singular focus, the destination. They know when they leave the house that it might be a very difficult journey, but they're ready to go anyway. See, they're going to a place with a purpose and they're willing to brave whatever it takes to get there. So when it comes to your journey with Jesus, do you have the mindset of a pilgrim or a tourist? See, a pilgrim has a mindset that the journey is a long obedience in the same direction. The reality is that oftentimes, though, our mindset and our expectations leads us to become disenchanted because we start with the wrong mindset, the wrong hopes, the wrong expectations. So let's take that phrase tonight, and we're going to take that into the book of Psalms, and we're going to unpack a few of these truths. So let's take that phrase, "a long obedience." in the same direction. Let's start with that, that last part, same direction. So we're gonna head to Psalm 122. And I'm gonna read verses one through four. I was glad when they said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, to the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. I love the way that starts, right? I was glad when they said, it's time to go. See, the journey of the tourist might be excited for the destination, but ultimately it, they're just as likely to pick a different destination or change plans if it doesn't work out. The journey of the pilgrim though is solely set on one destination. This is why when you think of any great quest, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, there's a destination in mind, right? Like I think of Frodo with Mount Doom, like he, he is determined to get there. Or Luke Skywalker heading to the Death Star, you know? Or even think about Jesus heading to the cross. You know the destination, and you know what it's gonna take to get there. But the destination is worth it. See, here's the tricky part though the journey is not quite a quest to go next door to your neighbor's house to borrow a cup of sugar to make cookies. That would be quick, that's not costly. You see, this kind of pilgrimage changes you. It's meant to. You're not supposed to follow Jesus and stay the same. It changes you. The journey changes you. It tests you. It challenges you. It calls you to a long obedience in the same direction. So it has to begin with a daily remembrance of why the direction matters. Because the reality is, is there will be days when you will cry out to God when you doubt the direction, when you are unsure if you went on the wrong path, when the brokenness of other people or even yourself gives you pause for the journey. And if you're anything like me, you are good with the direction. But if it gets costly, frustrating, or upsetting, we start to prepare to head to safer passage. But see, that totally makes sense if we're spiritual tourists. Tourists will try anything until something else comes along. Pilgrims have a direction. They stay on the same direction. But it can't just be a direction that you have intellectually agreed with. It has to be one that is born out of desire, out of genuine worship. That's why, again, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. The psalmist isn't saying, the song doesn't go... And I felt neutral about it or uh, I, I wasn't really looking forward to it, but I know it was time to go on the pilgrimage. So that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm a good Jew. That's not the posture at all, right? I was glad when they said, it's time to go. That's the heart of worship. That's the heart that is meant to carry us on this long obedience because the direction is one that is meant for genuine joy. And the and the Israelites they didn't go begrudgingly or just because they had to at least that wasn't meant to be their posture because they like us were created to be captivated by our affections for God to experience his presence in the here and now and on into eternity The pilgrimage might be rough but we know where we're going and it's worth it So the question for you is do you hold on to the truth of the gospel it is genuinely Good news in your heart? Do you hold the good news of the gospel to be good news? Do you find strength and courage for the journey ahead rooted in your relationship with Jesus? If not, you're not alone, but that's not where we're meant to stay. And if you find yourself swayed in 12 different directions based on the time of day, Know this, the truest hope for you is to become captivated with the hope that is found in the gospel. That your heart would be burning on fire, stoked by the spirit of God. Because there's going to be days that are not easy. There are gonna be days when you're not feeling it. There are gonna be days when you wonder if that same direction was a bad call. But the journey is worth it. The journey is worth it. You might be questioning the journey tonight. Let us go to the house of the Lord. That's our call. That is our direction. So that in 15 years from now, as we continue on in the same direction, we would be not lukewarm, we wouldn't be half hearted. Instead, we would be even more excited as the journey continues than we are today. You might think of your spiritual life right now and look at the trajectory of where it's going. You're like, man, if it's going the same trajectories where it's been going for the last couple of years, this is gonna be rough. You see, that's not what we were created for. We were created for on the journey to be filled with, it, with this holy anticipation and love, which is why we can have obedience. In Psalm 132, another one of these songs of ascent, we get interesting image of obedience. So it tells us a story. Remember, O Lord, in David's favor, all the hardships he endured, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. I will not enter my home or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Now, This is an interesting one. This is kind of an obscure story from the life of King David, but it's meant to point us to a story of obedience. This reminds me of something that John Calvin once wrote. He said, true knowledge of God comes out of obedience. Not exactly the way that we would imagine it, right? True knowledge of God comes out of obedience, not learning more, not just feeling more. Obedience. And see, that's what this psalm is about. The first half of the psalm is recounting a specific incidence of obedience. So the story is, I don't know how familiar you are with the story of King David. He was one of the great kings of Israel. And one time, this story that it's, I'm talking about here was when the Ark of the Covenant, which was meant to symbolize and be the space of God's presence with his people, was being brought back into Jerusalem. And that was a big deal because it had largely been unguarded and unsafe. So God God had put this on David's heart, this obedience to ensure that the space of God's presence with his people would be in the center of the city, would be with his people. It's kind of a big deal. And it says in this Psalm, what David did about it. He said that he would not sleep. He would not give rest to his eyes. He wouldn't go to his house. He wouldn't get into bed until the task was accomplished. That's obedience. That's making decisions, not based on what is easy, not based on what you want, but based on what you've been called into. So they are literally seeing this kind of obscure story of obedience Why? We see in the scriptures, we find countless stories that are meant to form us and to shape us through the obedience and disobedience of others. And this is why the Israelites sang this obscure story of King David, to be reminded of what genuine obedience looks like. I mean, imagine you're on this pilgrimage. Wouldn't you prefer to be back in bed a few days into the trip? Wouldn't you prefer to be where it's a little bit easier? not out weathering the elements day after day as you're walking? Yes. And there are going to be days as we journey with Jesus, where there is an easier option to go with. How do you choose obedience in that? See, tourists make decisions in life based on experiences, wants, and desires in the moment, right? That's I mean, think of the last time you're on vacation. Isn't are those the things that kind of form you? What are my interests? What do I want to do? Typically, that's the way you travel. You're not typically thinking of when you're um, when you're a tourist of all the things that you have to do. You're thinking of things you want to do. That's called traveling, right? Like there's nothing wrong with that. But you see, the mindset of a spiritual tourist is focused on things like, but what do I want? That doesn't make sense to me, so it must not be true for me. What's in it for me? That doesn't fit in with my dreams or my goals. Those things make sense if we are spiritual tourists. But you see, the mind of the pilgrim is meant to be rooted in radical obedience. The pilgrim understands that between humans and God, only one of us has ever proven himself to be completely trustworthy. And it's not us, y'all. Pilgrims trust God's desires over our own. Pilgrims trust God's hopes over our own. God's ways over our own. God's definition of good and bad over our own. And see, this is what David displayed in the best moments of his life, including this kind of obscure story that they're singing about. Now, you might be thinking about the story of King David and you're like, dude wasn't perfectly obedient. In fact, he did some pretty rough things. Yes, go ahead and read First and Second Kings. You'll find some crazy stories. But you know, David's story, there were moments of obedience and it was a glimpse of one who's to come. And that's where the Psalm continues. In Psalm 132, Continuing in verse 11. So this is the same song. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body, I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. For the Lord has chosen Zion for he has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation and her saints will shout for joy. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I've prepared a lamp for my anointed. That word anointed there in Hebrew is the word Messiah. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him, his crown will shine. He's talking about this song. They are singing about the one who is to come, who is going to be of the line of David, who is going to live out perfect obedience. A few thousand years later, a little boy would be making his way three times a year to Jerusalem with his family, singing this song, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus singing this song. I don't know what that was like for him. If he knew in that moment, me. But he's the one, the anointed one from the line of David, who is the only example of perfect obedience in the history of the world. The only human to ever be fully human to be the ultimate symbol of obedience, which is why in, later on, Paul would write in the book of Philippians that he would be the one who would demonstrate perfect obedience. Yes, even obedience to the point of death, even death on a cross. For Jesus to be raised up, he allowed himself to be torn down. That's the one that we follow and we follow in his way. And that's hard because that is not the way of a tourist. I love the way that C.S. Lewis would write about it in Mere Christianity. The Christian way is different, harder and easier. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down, hand over the whole natural self, all the desires, what you think innocent, as well as the ones you think wicked, the whole outfit. I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own shall become yours, both harder and easier than what we are all trying to do you have noticed i expect that christ himself sometimes describes a christian way is very hard sometimes it's very easy he says take up your cross in other words pick up the instrument of your execution next minute he says my yoke is easy and my burden is light and he means both and one can just see why both are true Did that little spiritual tourist, then you revolted all of that, right? Because our flesh is like, no, I like things the way they are, kinda. This, this weekend, uh, my father-in-law was in town and he uh, uh, cut down the tree in our backyard um, because our backyard isn't like the biggest thing ever and a tree right in the middle of it does not, is not like opportune for playing in. So he cut the tree down. And then, and then the next couple days, I spent time with him in the backyard. We spent probably about six to seven hours cutting every single root away from the tree to pick up the, the root ball that took four guys to get this thing out of the hole and move it out. I don't know if any of you guys have ever done a project like that. Not exactly the funnest thing that's ever happened. But that's what I think about. We're like, I realize that the tree's kind of a problem, Jesus, but maybe we can make it look nicer. That'd be cool. He's like, no, I have a better plan. I have a better tree in mind, but to do it, it can't be there at all. We think weekend house project and Jesus is ready for demo day. See, Christianity is not meant to be a religion for spiritual tourists. It's meant to be a journey for pilgrims. We pick and choose what we want to follow and obey. But the reality is that the only decision that we are called to make is pick up your cross and follow me. And that changes everything. Everything else is rooted in that. The truth is too often the way of Jesus is talked about without any understanding of the costliness of obedience. Or when it is talked about, it's just talked about in terms of legalism. Follow these set of laws and these right rules and then you're gonna be good with God. But you see, all that is doing is just cutting down branches. The reality is that the path of the pilgrim goes way deeper down into the dirt and pulls it all out. That obedience is scary work, but it's good work. Which takes us to Psalm 124 long. Psalm 124. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. When their anger was kindled against us, then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Bless be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snares of the fowlers. The snake, the snare is broken and we have escaped don't miss this. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now, how does this connect? Well, first of all, what tourist possibly wants to go on a journey if it's going to sound anything like this song, right? There's nothing easy about this. A tourist will journey through safer waters when things get tough and when the path seems too long. When you're a tourist, don't you? Aren't you so grateful for ways in the reroute feature when you're driving? Yeah, it, it's so wonderful because it lets you know where an accident is in a road that takes you like looks like way out of the way, but ends up being faster than waiting in traffic. We're grateful for things like that. As a tourist, that makes a lot of sense. But you see, the pilgrim is fully aware of the difficulty of the journey ahead, but has the, a mindset that is rooted not in the difficulty. That's not the point. Pilgrims aren't meant to just be gluttons for punishment. Like, oh yeah, do I get to suffer today? Like, let's see what happens. It's gonna be so cool. Like, that's not meant to be our mindset, but a mindset that is rooted in the one who is our helper. A mindset that is rooted in the one who carries us in the midst of the difficulty, in the midst of the hurt. So why do we need to be reminded that God has not abandoned us? Have you thought about that? Scripture talks about that a ton, right? God has not abandoned us. That he is still on our side. Why? Because life's rough sometimes. The journey is not easy. On the pilgrimage, there might be thieves, droughts, dangerous paths ahead. In other words, it's gonna be long and it's not always gonna be easy. It also doesn't mean it's always gonna be terrible and rough either, But when the rough does come, what we need to be reminded of is that the length of the journey is not wasted. See, it's in the long part of the journey that we discover the grace and the presence of Jesus day by day. You might think of this like whole obedience piece and just think, well, that's super unfortunate because I'm not exactly like Jesus today. So if I can't be fully obedient, why even try? think of whoever you look up to in the faith, spiritual mother or spiritual father. Everyone who has come before us in the journey of faith in the road with Jesus in this pilgrimage life has been where you're at, has been where I'm at. And they look to others who are further along the path than they are. That's all a part of it, that we don't journey alone, that we remember that God is our helper and we have other pilgrims who walk with us. See, when we remember the length of the journey, we realize that we are recipients of such great grace because we are not called to be perfect today. What we are called to do is to draw near to Jesus today. So what does it look like today? Probably different than what it's gonna look like 10 years from now, right? That makes sense. What it looks like today is probably different than what it looked like a few years ago when you first started following Jesus, right? That makes sense too. So we're not called to be perfect today. We're called to draw near to Jesus today, to learn and ask him, what does it look like today for me to demonstrate love for God and love for people today? Not tomorrow, not worrying about, man, but what if I don't get it right in five years from now still? Don't worry about five years from now. Don't even worry about tomorrow, today. Draw near to Jesus today. Because here's the thing, we live in an instant culture, right? Like that's not a newsflash for anyone I'm imagining. At the touch of our phone, you can do just about anything, right? You can book trips to just about anywhere. You can buy just about anything. You can answer just about any question with two seemingly expert opinions who are completely opposed to one another, it's great. What do you think this instant mindset has done to our our ability to patiently go on the journey with Jesus? I'd imagine we probably underestimate that, right? Do you find yourself frustrated when you do something like you start a new Bible reading plan and then after a few days, you're not feeling anything? So you give up. You commit to praying more intentionally this year, but the circumstances don't seem to change. You start going to counseling to process difficult realities from your past or your present. And after a few months, you don't feel better. You are for sure not alone. See, we have been trained to expect and to desire instant results. If it can't be solved with a quick YouTube video, Google look up or Buzzfeed article, But I think intrinsically, we realize there is value when something takes longer, right? Don't we, don't we believe that? I think intrinsically, we understand that. I mean, I remember when I was eight years old, rough give or take, and um, Easy Mac came out. I was over the moon about Easy Mac. No longer was I shackled down to waiting till my mom got out a pan and like filled it up with all the stuff and put butter and milk in or whatever, right? Instead, I could toss it on the microwave and out came more or less the same stuff. Yes, it kind of tasted like rubber, but that's kind of what instant results do. One of my favorite words of the last decade is the word craft. And I don't mean craft mac and cheese. I mean like like C-R-A-F-T. When something is craft. There's a value in that word, right? Like you already feel that. Like when you see, hear about craft root beer. (sighs) Um, Some of you craft kombucha, yeah. Um, Or for those of you who like to um, uh, eat meat, uh, when you read on a menu, 24 hour slow roasted pulled pork, right? (laughs) Like you're like, you're like, you know there's value in the 24 hours rather than when you just go to Aldi's and get the pulled pork there that's kind of already been cooked. Or um, think about if you go to Disney's Animal Kingdom, you go to the Africa area of the park and, and when you're in that area, you, uh, you, you see the men and women who are carving with the wood and making those awesome drafts. Like those are so cool, Right? Well, Disney obviously understands there's value in that because they charge like four times the price over the over ones that look kind of like it that were manufactured in a in a factory somewhere. See, we understand that there is value in time taken on a on something. We know that the longer proce- process has value, beauty, flavor, and texture. And so it goes in the long obedience in the same direction with Jesus. It's not quick and it's not nearly as appealing as quick fixes. But it's in the process, it's in the long that the transformation of our hearts and minds is formed into the image of Christ. But it's also important that we realize that this is not a journey that we have even begun or will ever sustain. In Psalm 127, the last song of ascent, I want to point you to. Verses one and two. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. If any of you struggle to sleep at night because you have your mind just racing anxieties, this is a great one that's been helpful for me. Can I read this passage again to you one more time? Except, can you just close your eyes and just let this passage wash over you, this word? Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil for he gives sleep to his beloved sleep. You can open your eyes. What makes the journey worth it is not just the growth that occurs within us. It's not even the destination. It is the one who goes with us. He builds the house. He takes us on the journey. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. See, if the Lord doesn't build the house, then our efforts is just a cheap substitute. And see, I don't want to settle for an easy max solution for my life. And I'd hope you don't desire that for your life or the life of those who are sitting next to you right now. See, I want the long journey if what it means is I need to experience life with the risen Jesus. The question is, which journey will we venture on to? Will it be the long obedience in the same direction of Jesus? Or will it be something quicker, easier, or a more flexible substitute? Now, you could talk to Ali, and she will tell you that I am far from the perfect pilgrim and a month away didn't fix that. But even now I can tell you that there are new aspects to my journey with Jesus that is just beginning in my mind and in my heart. And I'm excited to see where it goes. And that's hard, right? Because what we want so naturally is the quick fix. We want the instant solution. We want the fullness of the journey, but we want it today. But here's the encouragement. Here's the beauty. We don't journey alone. See, as we go on our pilgrimage to the celestial city, we look to our right and to our left. And what we discover is biblical community around us. Other pilgrims singing the same song. Our journeys might look different and nuanced, but we sing the same song. And we discover most importantly that the song that we're singing, it's not one that elevates us. It's one that elevates the risen savior. And it's him, Messiah, the anointed one, the king, who's the ultimate display of what a long obedience in the same direction looks like. And we discover that he not only has gone before us, he now journeys with us through the power of his Holy Spirit. There's a song that uh, is on my playlist that uh, is called Highlands. Maybe you're familiar with it. And in the song, there's this lyric that, has been just, that was just so, so good for me. And in the song, it says, "'Cause in the highlands, when things are going well, and in the heartache, You're neither more or less inclined. I would search and stop at nothing. You're just not that hard to find. See, we think that we need to go on this journey and go find him. He went on the journey to find us. Jesus is not that hard to find. See, this long obedience in the same direction is one that we do not go on alone. So here's what I'd like to do before we continue on. I would love for us to just take a minute and just talk about whatever God is stirring on your heart right now. Maybe pull out your journal and journal with him about it. But let's just take a minute of silence together and just rest in this. What is the Lord revealing to you? What's the mindset that you've been holding on to? What are the things that has made that mindset easy to hold on to? Are there conveniences, desires, or dreams? Things God is calling you into or things he wants you to just simply rest in. That's just been hard. I can't answer that for you. But I think it's so important that we don't simply move on. This isn't a one-time message. This is a daily reminder of what it means to follow after Jesus. Jesus. It is something that is both passive and active. It's passive in the sense that it is his grace watching on us. And it is active in the sense that we are called on the journey with him. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't know how to articulate it any more than that. I wouldn't trust humanity with that journey. But this is what he has called us into. A love relationship. Not as pilgrims who are worshiping a distant deity but sons and daughters who've been called to stand in his presence day by day would you pray with me Lord you are not distant you are not far off even in the moments when it feels like that is so I recognize that right now in this space, there are some of us who are feeling exactly that right now. Perhaps even just talk about you being ever present and you being the helper feels like, doesn't feel that way right now. Lord, would you, would you speak into our hearts your holy word? A word that would draw us near that would remind us that we are seen, that you would remind us that we are known, that we would remind us that we are called and created to enjoy you forever. Lord, I pray for this community that we would be one that doesn't just do things out of religious obedience um, in the sense that it is just us trying to um, save ourselves or work it out on our own. But it's the kind of obedience that stirs the affections. It's a kind of obedience that takes us out of our comfort zone and into your loving embrace. Yes, Lord, remind us of that good news tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.